Welcome to Write Medicine, where we explore best practices in creating continuing education content for health professionals. I'm Alex Housen, and I'm on a mission to share expert insights and field perspectives on topics like adult learning, content creation techniques, effective formats, and trends in healthcare that influence the type of continuing education content that we create. Write Medicine is the premier podcast for CME CPD professionals like you wherever you are in the content creation process. Join us. We weren't thinking by the team for the team. And as we think about CPD today, and, and Sarah and I both work within an organization that is jointly accredited or has joint accreditation, you know, we're thinking about that. What is the, what is the need for team-based care? And that real shift from uh, equipping the individual clinician to know something or be able to do something differently is very different than the idea of training or equipping a whole team to not just know what to do, but know how to do it and be able to do that together in a better way. And do that with this goal of, we know that the patient's also a stakeholder. Their voice matters. A decade ago, Curtis Olson, PhD, then editor of the Journal of Continuing Education in the Health Professions, made 20 predictions about the future of continuing medical education and continuing professional development. Those predictions included a shift from the individual to the team as the primary unit of learning, a greater focus on interprofessional learning, more frequent use of evaluation models that tell us not only what works, but also under what conditions and why and less reliability on the psychology of learning and more emphasis on the sociology of behaviour change. Have you been wondering how those predictions are holding up today? Welcome back to Right Medicine, your trusted source for insights into the ever-evolving world of CME and CPD. I'm your host, Alex Housen, and today's episode revisits those predictions and previews the future of CME and CPD. Joining us from the front lines are two consummate CME and CPD professionals from Clinical Education Alliance, Sarah Nisley and Caroline Pardo. They'll be sharing preliminary insights from research they've been doing on the relevance of these predictions today, emphasising the need for diverse voices and perspectives in the field and discussing how CME and CPD needs to be in sync with the messiness and complexity of contemporary healthcare. Tune in to learn more about how past predictions about CME and CPD are aligning with current trends and practices, how technology has been reshaping healthcare and the future of CPD, the importance for CME and CPD to adapt to different generations and changing priorities, and how continuous research and collaboration with multiple stakeholders is essential to shape the future of CPD and ensure its continuing relevance and impact. Join us. It's very exciting to be here with Caroline Pardo and Sarah Nisley. And go ahead and introduce yourselves to listeners of Right Medicine. Sarah. Okay. So I'll go first. My name is Sarah Nisley, and I am the VP over Outcomes and Clinical Impact 
at Clinical Education Alliance. So I work quite a bit with our outcomes team and our data analytics team, really working towards understanding how our metrics can feed the CPD space. Thank you, Sarah. And I'm Caroline Pardo, and I serve as president of Continuing Professional Development at the Clinical Education Alliance. And what that means is that I get to support the wonderful teams of Clinical Care Options, Practicing Clinicians Exchange, and ProCE, and all the great thinking that they have to do around CME and CE for our healthcare professionals. Well, I'm glad that you both explained what you do. That's really helpful. And Sarah, you're like Liza Minnelli. You're nicely with an I, not nicely with or nisly with an a short I, which is the way <laughs> I introduce people you. people up every time. <laughs> I should have set you up for success. <laughs> oh, that's okay. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll take it. I'll take the fall. So we're having this conversation today because you've been doing this work on predictions for the future in, in our field, in the field of uh, CME and, and CE. And you did CE, you did say CE, but uh, we can also include CPD. What kind of sparked this idea of revisiting Curtis Olson's 20 predictions for the future and, and use that as a kind of way to have a broader discussion about what's going on in our field and what it might look like in the future? So I'll start here. And then Sarah, I'd love for you to weigh in. So Sarah joined our company or shortly upon the, the entrance of Sarah in, into our team. And getting to know her, I saw a, a fellow futurist. I knew I had someone who, like me, is very interested in seeing how we can push the envelope and the kinds of theories that we want to advance and just explore further within our industry. The Curtis Olson paper has always has been on my mind for a number of years. And in reflection of all the impact of COVID-19 and the the impact of shutting our meetings and just the, the transformation that we saw in CPD as a result of the years between 20 and 22. The idea of that that paper, the 20 predictions paper that Curtis Olson had developed when he was editor of JC, JSAP struck us as a particularly poignant moment that it hit its 10-year anniversary for us to say, are these still relevant themes? Are these still important themes? And importantly, what has happened in the last 10 years? We've had this bump. We've had this impact of COVID, but many other impacts to our industry across that 10 years. What would we say is the future of CPD now? And where do we need to take as a springboard? Or what do we need to take as a springboard from that original set of, of 20 predictions? Sarah, I, I know I, we, we started the conversation there, but it evolved in many ways. It has. And I've been so excited to be part of that particular journey. As Caroline mentioned, when I joined the organization, I think her and I kind of flocked together as people that could easily contribute to this particular vision, as well as really we have this passion for making sure that the CPD community is moving forward and that voices are represented in it. So when Caroline came to me about that she had just been thinking on this particular topic for the last 10 years or so, and she said, what can we do with this? And we immediately started to brainstorm, started to get excited, started to think through, you know, what is next for us? And I'm newer to the industry. So I've only been in this space for a couple of years. I come from an academic background. 
it is in my nature to be curious and to question things and to start to wonder what what is next and what are we going to do next and where is healthcare going and how can we be a part of that? So it was really easy for us to even start the conversation. And then I think once we did start the conversation, we found like there are these dozen ways that we can go with it and what uh, what do we want to focus on and where do we want to head? Absolutely. So, you know, obviously I'll include a link in the show notes to that original article that Curtis wrote. And there are 20 predictions. Well, is there anything that really kind of sticks out for you as, you know, one or two things that you were particularly interested in exploring? Absolutely. When we began this work, and I'm going to answer your question through a story, but when we began this work, we said we need to ensure that what was originally explored by Dr. Olson was and remains important to our industry and relevant. Those are different things. And so we wanted to question, to ask, to, to survey our, our, our whole landscape of CBD stakeholders around these themes. We can't ask 20 questions. Like, is this relevant and important? That's, that's a really challenging survey approach. So we aimed to collapse those original predictions into a smaller set of themes that we would then use as the basis for our research. And that allowed us the time and forced us to think very carefully about those discrete elements that Dr. Olson was really tapping into. And we saw uh, a couple of things. I saw a couple of things. I'd love for Sarah to also weigh in on what was really meaningful to her at that point. But we saw themes related to the structure of CPD, accreditation, cost, timing, some of the logistics of developing CPD, they're so important because we know that the medium absolutely structures the message in this context. But then also, and very exciting to us, we saw this focus on the interprofessional focus of CPD. How do we equip individuals within whole teams to make lasting change? Not just change in knowledge and not just competency, those things we measure, but real change. So this intersection of the interprofessional team within this complex system of the way healthcare is delivered. Yeah. So the logistics and the structure of CME is really juxtaposed into the real world messiness of the way healthcare is delivered and how CBD can impact that. And it just felt like these two foreign spaces almost juxtaposed in this model that we needed to untease and better understand. Got really exciting as we thought about it from that perspective. There was a lot of dialogue about that too. It's a lot to tease apart. There was a a ton of dialogue as we started to even get responses from our memberships and from the, from the respondents to the survey, just a lot of awareness about how much change has happened in the last decade since those 20 predictions were written. And so to Caroline's point of, you know, what direction are we moving? It's important to recognize where we came from. And how that has influenced where we are, and then also how it missed the mark on what progressions has already even happened in the last decade. It was really fascinating. Absolutely. So let's kind of uh, circle back to to what we were talking about there in terms of that juxtaposition. Can you say a little bit more about that and what that looks like in practice? What that looks like in practice. Let me respond to that question by maybe digging or taking our research a little bit further. So as we've questioned our uh, a wide range of stakeholders and 
we would encourage additional voices to contribute to this research in the future. More on that. But we have what we have surveyed through a, a number of steps, or bought, which have also included focus groups and other types of research. These things, this original set of eight themes, and this this divide, and it's not it's not a, a a harsh divide, but one that's critical to really understand CBD is becoming ever more evident, particularly as we've added additional domains. Let me unpack that for a second. The CPD has a structure. CME CE is structured, and it is structured through very for a very specific reason. We need to ensure that there is fair and balanced, there fair and balanced content, that there is that the the policies and the expectations for compliant education are, are present and that there is a, a valid credit earning structure for learning, all valid. And yet there is this real world need that intervention that involves learning is impacting healthcare in a real way. So if this really structured thing that we need to engage into, dip into the space of really messy healthcare and make change. And as we've been exploring this with folks who we really have not framed this in that context with the folks that we've been involving in the research, it's coming out. We are hearing about other themes emerge that even further show us that it, the complexity is growing in the space. So that we've worded some of these themes in a way that I think starts to tap into that, the impact and the promise of technology, for example. 10 years ago, things that exist now were not even on the radar for most of us. Artificial intelligence being one of those. What does that mean? When we're thinking about the evolution of not just reporting, but because there is an, there is an impact on that structure of CPD and how we take forward credit claiming it from a digital resource and tracking perspective, for example, but also the development of content. What does that mean to us in both of those domains? And a greater call, I'll, I'll address this here, we as a society are changing and we have this greater call to not just close clinical gaps, but also equity and disparity mm-hmm. gaps, gaps that touch and underpin so much of the foundation of, or the driver of gap and need in our healthcare system. So two big changes socially, culturally that we would say we've all seen in every aspect of life and business over the last 10 day, 10 years. And some days, some days, days over the last 10 years. And that certainly is even framing these predictions in ways that we are trying to quantify. But it's underpinning again, that juxtaposition of that structure of CPD within the messiness of healthcare and how we need to Ensure that we uh, we engage that structure of CPD and all of its great requirements to be a strengthening force as we impact the great complexity of healthcare where educational intervention can can improve care. Caroline, one of the other pieces that came up, and I know we're going to talk a little bit more about the focus groups as we do as we move forward, but the other piece that came up pretty routinely is the complexities of human life too, right? So there is, there's all this stuff going on with healthcare and that as an institution and that as a, as a service to our patients, 
that learners, our healthcare professional learners are in the midst of. And then we've got all those complexities. We've got all of this like futuristic discussion and dialogue and what's going to happen here. And then you have everything that's going on with life, right? And life and all of the pieces that have happened, especially post COVID, like those weren't even on the radar when Dr. Olson wrote this article. So it's, there's a whole bunch that feeds into the dialogue and the perception and the perspective that our our research is hoping to amplify. Absolutely. Alex, so round. And I know you're going to report. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, just to round that out, bringing the old into the new or bringing the former into the current. One of the things that we've explored or one of the, the elements of literature that we've explored together over the last few months of just thinking about what does this mean and where are we taking this? It's going back to some of the social theories that really underpinned some of the original thinking about what CPD is and what does learning mean to us as agents of change and and how do we use learning effectively there. And one of the an early social medicine theories was the health the the theory of health lifestyles. And interestingly, in the context of all of this work that we're doing to advance this idea of the futures a future of CPD and where we're going, a theory that I've relied on for years to, to, to help frame my own thinking was recently re-examined. And the addition of digital communications and the impact of pandemics was added to as a con, as a contextual factor to consider within health lifestyles theory. Why does that matter here? That matters because it pointed to us one, we're on the right track. Uh, we're at least asking good questions. Mm-hmm. And those questions are what has happened over the last 10 years that would make us reframe those good questions for our industry? And what does that tell us, not industry, but community? What does that tell us about where the future is headed? Because we do need to think about where we've been, but also the, the necessary consideration of those impacts that have evolved and become important and helped us understand our community in the context of, of society and, and medicine and industry that we are, are working in, what the, how those impact the ways we need to maybe revisit our own theories, our own adult learning approaches and tactics that are born out of some of those older theories. So it's been an exciting time for us because we think the impact for this is actually quite broad. So I have a lot of questions here. So first of all, I know that you're going to you're going to talk about this research in much more detail, uh, you know, at the alliance meeting that's coming up in February in New Orleans, but can you just give us a tiny flavor of how you actually did the research? You mentioned focus groups, but you're talking about you've been talking to different people and trying to kind of pull in fresh voices to the work that you're doing. Just give us a little kind of snapshot of what your methodological approach was, what you actually did in practice to get this data to help you sort through these predictions. You want me to take that one, Caroline? Okay. So I'll start and then I'll lean on Caroline to fill in the gaps. We have, her and I reflected this morning a little bit about the trajectory that we've been on since we started thinking through this research. Uh, We started with a survey uh, that went out to our community to really get thoughts on those eight themes that Caroline and I worked together to kind of lump the 20 predictions into those domains. We got a ton of feedback from our community on what is relevant, what is still important, 
what are things that we're not thinking of? That survey was live for about six weeks through a purposeful partnership with some other research done with CE Outcomes. The research was then summarized and we shared it. Caroline led the charge on that, sharing it at the Alliance, the AIS or the AIS uh, meeting in May of 2023. Following that, we of course garnered some more participation in the survey, more voices. One of the the asks in the survey was interest in participating in more. More, as Caroline's point is, more voices are needed in this particular research. And so we wanted to make sure that we offered opportunities for that. We had around 40 respondents saying, yeah, we want to be involved and we want to make our voices heard. We want to hear more about what you're doing. We want to be involved in this particular research. So we set up focus groups to hear those voices. We had three different focus groups over approximately 90 days where we reaffirmed this is these were the top themes that came out of our survey research. We reaffirmed terminology within those using the Delphi technique. We really spent the majority of our time together, though, thinking through focused futuristic efforts. What's coming next? What are the things that you see in your particular role and responsibility? And we did a free-for-all dialogue, really to just let the conversation go where it was going to go and hear those voices and make sure that they were appropriately represented. All of that came forward. So everything in that space came forward then to set the stage for this next round of research that we're going to present at the Alliance meeting. And what themes came out of the futuristic research? We have, uh, of course, additional plans at the Alliance meeting to, to get more voices incorporated. Caroline and I have been adamant from the start that we do not want this to be the Caroline and Sarah show about what the future of CPD looks like. It is so complex that we want to make sure we represent as many voices as possible. But we do think it's really important dialogue. And all of that dialogue has been ongoing since we started this early in 2023. And we anticipate it will hopefully continue to move forward through some of the work that we've been doing. Anything to add, Caroline? No. Okay. No, that's that's very thorough. And I know that we're going to, you know, sort of learn more in place in at the meeting itself. This episode of Right Medicine is brought to you by Right CME Pro, a professional development membership that provides skills and scaffolding for medical writers who want to create CME content with confidence. Right CME Pro gives you access to expert perspectives to help you build your CME writing skills a portfolio accelerator to hold space so that you can create stunning samples to show your prospects, group coaching to help you build foundational and expert knowledge in CME, and much, much more. Write CME Pro is a professional development membership for people like you who are ready to launch and grow a specialized CME medical writing niche. See the link in the show notes for more information about how to enroll. I'm curious if you're finding a sense of kind of sea change or shift within, you know, the people who've responded to your and participated in your research, because it seems to me that it's not just that the predictions, you know, there are going to be some changes and some different ways of thinking about what those original predictions were, but the character of Alliance membership and the character of the profession itself has shifted considerably over the last decade. 
you know, you both mentioned that you, well, actually you mentioned, Sarah, that you, you have an academic background that Caroline, I know you do as well. There are more people with academic backgrounds who have moved into CME and CE over the last decade. There does seem to be a more concerted focus on, Caroline, you talked about theories. You know, theory is a scary word to a lot of people, but it does seem that we're talking a little bit more about the theoretical basis for CME and CE and, and so on now. Is that something that you're picking up in the research that you're doing? Or am I just projecting? <laughs> I can speak a little bit to this, and then I would love for Caroline to weigh in. Absolutely, we are seeing that come through in our research. And I think one thing that made me, that your description made me think of was some language that came through in our focus groups centered around our own individual responsibilities. So what responsibilities, it's not just, this is what CME, CE, CPD should do. This is what industry should do. This is what healthcare should do. This is, there was a lot of internal reflection that became a focus of what do we need to be doing as individuals in this space and how can we be agents of change for what the CPD future looks like and really dialogue around that being our professional responsibility. This comes forward in in our actions, in our dialogue, in participating in this individual research, in you know moving the needle forward when it comes to a lot of the things that the direction that we want to take CPD and us being the onus and us being responsible for what that looks like. Caroline, anything to add on on that from what you saw? Thank you for raising that. I think that was one of the aha and perhaps even surprising moments mm-hmm. that we've had. You situated this question, Alex, and you know, I know you come from an academic background or but yet we've some of us have been in this industry for a very long time. I think what's been interesting for me in, in looking across all the points at which we've collected information and we're excited to continue to do so is that it is a point in time to reflect and look. And we framed our AIS presentation on that very point. So we said in that presentation, the time in which you enter this industry necessarily shapes how you see it. And if you were in this industry as a, as a new CPD professional now, you were going to see the future differently, but you certainly mm-hmm. see the industry differently. And that's why it's been so important to us to make sure or to ensure as much as we can. And we are so appreciative of the opportunity to have this opportunity to communicate with you because we're hoping this continues to help expand the message and the, and the, and the invitation to contribute to this research is that we want multiple voices. We want voices from all across every corner of our CPD, CME, CE, all the letters community to, to have some say in the summary of findings that we will ultimately yield and continue to yield. Maybe, maybe this goes on for in many, many ways for a long time. But at this point, we have received insights. We've been, we've had the value of input from largely medical education company or MEC members. If we think about that from the alliance structure, we've had a number from the pharmaceutical medical education, medical boss company cohort. We've had a number from the peers cohort. Again, if we're thinking about the, the alliance member section structure. We've had some from academic medicine, but not enough. 
We'd very and 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 some from um, professional societies as well. We want more. We want to hear from all the voices and, and hear from different voices to ensure that this research does reflect that rich fabric that the alliance is. You ask, what are we seeing that we perhaps didn't anticipate to see because the industry or the community is different? I think we've had more focus on global than we would have had mm-hmm. 10 years ago because we have mm-hmm. stakeholders within our community who are more focused on change across, outside of just the U.S., but and change in, in education globally as well, or have a remit to actually impact that and thus have that on their minds. But then also this idea of policy and cost. I don't think when I began uh, my work in this industry, I don't recall that there was so much focus on needing to show value mm-hmm. and value as a construct in which dollars and cents necessarily mm-hmm. included in whatever formula we use to determine value. And I think we're hearing that in almost everything. I need to show value. I need to show impact because the it, CPD has a cost. And that cost is also one of opportunity costs, right? If we're investing in this, we're not investing in this. So what is the impact of, of CME or CPD investment? So I, I think we have this shift, and Sarah, Sarah was speaking to it, of Agents of change being very attuned within our community to all of the, the messages that they are required to communicate in the context of their roles within CPD, their value, their reach, or their, you know, their impact on and their community, their, the nation, the national strategy for education, or even a global strategy, and their need to continue to, to demonstrate that they are evolving as a professional within the work that they do. Sarah, did you have anything to add to that? No. So thank you for that, Caroline. I appreciate that. You know, you talked about the messiness of healthcare. And, and of course, you know, healthcare is, is always, healthcare is messy. But it's potentially, it's possibly messier now than it's been for a very long time. And there, there are lots of different drivers for that. So I have two questions here. One is, and I'll say them both just to kind of foreshadow them, and then you know we can come back to the first question. The first question is really, given the messiness of healthcare and given the expansion of the number of you know players in the healthcare game, from you know players to providers to patients to lots of different types of education entities. In the work that you're seeing, how much will the field really have to shift in order to be able to insert itself and partner with and integrate with that messiness? So that's the first question. The second question is, you know, you I know that you've talked about frameworks of contemporary healthcare and the work that you've been doing. What is that? What do you mean by that? Why is why is that framing significant? And why is it so critical for us in this field to understand what those contemporary frameworks are? So I think that's probably four questions. <laughs> Take your pick. <laughs> Do you you want Caroline's nod that me get started? Okay. Okay. <laughs> so let me see. The first question was focused in on what we're seeing as far as moving the needle forward and the I guess maybe how how much work still needs to be done. Is that a fair summation? That's a fair uh, rearticulation. Okay. Thank you. So I 
I will say as far as how much work needs to be done, I think we we are in a continuous process of discovery. Caroline and I have we have mountains of data to to comb through to share out in general terms there's still a lot of work to be done and when you look at even the original 20 predictions that we bucketed into eight themes there's quite a, almost all of those ranked as still relevant for today so we have not the work is not going to reach a destination the work is a journey right and so that journey is continuous and it, honestly it should be there's going to hopefully there are continued changes in healthcare provision and that makes things more efficient. It makes it easier on the patient. It makes it aligned with better outcomes. Hopefully all of those things are true. And that becomes more of a journey, less of a destination. I think when we summarize the findings that we have from this latest round of futuristic thinking, the biggest piece is going to be how can we how can we meet our healthcare providers where they are for that real time point of care, point of touch base with that patient. How can we meet them in that space to help improve their efficiency and improve it in a way that is aligned with better patient outcomes? That comes with it a whole host of challenges, obviously. But I do think there's, there's a substantial amount of work to be done. Thank goodness. And hopefully we continue to find more work to do. And hopefully it we continue to move the needle down that that road towards towards our destination knowing that we're we're never going to reach the end point so a lot of evolution in order to to keep engaging with that messiness is is what i'm hearing hearing there what about this business of frameworks of contemporary healthcare what are we what are we talking about there and why is that important to really understand so one of the thing, one of the elements that I believe was not foreseen, uh, certainly wasn't discussed in the way that we discuss it now, was the the construct of interprofessional care and team based healthcare. Mm-hmm. When we look back in the context of 2012, and when uh, Dr. Olson was writing these original 20 predictions, joint accreditation was not what it is today. Right? We weren't thinking by the team for the team. And as we think about CPD today, and, and Sarah and I both work within an organization that is jointly accredited or has joint accreditation, you know, we're thinking about that. What is the, what is the need for team-based mm-hmm. care? And that real shift from uh, equipping the individual clinician to know something or be able to do something differently is very different than the idea of training or equipping a whole team to not just know what to do, but know how to do it and be able to do that together in a better way. And do that with this goal of, we know that the patient's also a stakeholder. Their voice matters. Shared decision-making is only a part of that engagement of the patient in a, in a, in a fair and equitable and meaningful way into the, the healthcare decision-making construct and even the, the care path and goal setting. So when we think about the messiness of healthcare and how education's role has changed, we are in such an exciting space now because we are thinking about the interprofessional team and all of the folks on that team and how they are agents. They are important agents within the team structure and that patient is part of the team. 
So when we're looking at outcomes, it's not just our endpoint is not just competency. Our endpoint is well beyond knowledge. It is to the performance and its impact of the healthcare team on, as Sarah said, meaningful outcomes for the patient and that quality of care on their life. So I think we're asking better questions because that focus has shifted in, in healthcare. Now, does that make it any less messy? Absolutely not. We're not measuring one point. We're measuring a dozen or more. And that makes it inherently more complex, but more exciting because we're looking at that endpoint from a value driven, in, in, in a value driven way. We're not just looking at knowledge. We're not just looking all of that matters. It's important, but we're looking at the quality of care and the quality of care as it's impacting real humans. And that's an exciting space to be. And in the, and, and all of that, our data capabilities and our ability to tap data at all of these points in time has just grown, multiplied in such exciting ways and it's continuing to do so. So we can have this opportunity to look at these interactions, to look at impact so differently than we could 10 years ago. And where we're going is without question going to be in a, in a more complex direction but one that affords more opportunity to even see the impact of what we're doing today. So messiness, yes, but very exciting. Sarah, do you have anything to add to that? No, I like uh, Caroline's messiness, yes. Messiness guaranteed. Excitement (laughs) forthcoming, yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes, the messiness is definitely guaranteed. And I was kind of thinking as you were talking there, you know, part of that messiness is obviously we've been through, you know, a pandemic period. And of course, you know, attrition's pretty high in in healthcare. We've, I, I think it's stabilized now, but the the numbers of physicians, nurses, and pharmacists who are leaving healthcare is exceptionally, is historically high, and presumably that's something that our field has to kind of grapple with in in some way as well. But to kind of wrap up, you know, you we started this conversation. You started your work revisiting the twenty predictions for for the future. Are you prepared to do a little future forecasting yourself? What what do you kind of predict the profession is heading in the next five to ten years? What are you seeing from your search that might give us little clues about if we were to revisit this conversation in five to ten years? Would we still be talking about technology in the same way? What do you think would be at the forefront? Well, I want Sarah to voice some of the themes that we're going to be further exploring in our future workshop, which cited um, for folks to attend. And I, I would like for this to be an open invitation uh, to folks to attend for folks to attend at the Alliance annual meeting. I will say here, and then again, I want Sarah to move, speak through some of the themes. We intended from the beginning that this research is not about us serving as futurists, but us rather being a vehicle through which others' voices are perhaps organized in a way and then communicated back for honest reflection. Is this, is this where we're headed? Is this where we want to head? And I think those are two very different questions, not just where are we headed, but where do we want to head? Mm-hmm. And part of our goal through this whole process has been to set an aspirational path as well in our industry. And that's what excites me the most is that it's not just what the science would point us to, but where do we want to go and how do we have the agency now or how can we even collectively, which I think is so important, should we collectively perhaps even be headed? And 
one of our goals that we're going to speak through, and it's, it's a thing that we're excited about at the, at our presentation in February at the Alliance annual meeting is this idea that individually we can accomplish great things. Collectively, we can accomplish more. So where do we want to go? And these themes uh, are the, the evaluation of the themes is what's important and relevant is part of that future casting. What remains important? What remains relevant? Well, if they are indeed important and relevant, what should we be doing? So Sarah, maybe you can speak to some of the things we've seen so far and some of the things we might explore. Sure. So the focus groups have yielded several. Right now we have them bucketed into approximately six different futuristic themes. And we would love people to come to the session, to our workshop and really weigh in on these things. Alex, you won't be surprised to hear. Obviously, technology has taken a big forward movement. And I think we are challenged to think through. We had no idea where we would be 10 years ago. It's silly for us to assume we're going to know where we're going to be in 10 more years. But I think we can safely assume that technology is going to continue to have a big part of where we move and how we move. Other pieces that we've already really touched on is that personal and professional responsibility that we have to be those agents of change. And we would love to have thought leaders come in and weigh in on on what that looks like in their own spaces and how we can create that culture within our community. Caroline touched on the role of equity and diversity really in, in the care that or in the gaps that we identify and in the future care for our patients um, that are ultimately the end consumer of our education. As you know, like within the U.S., of course, that has been a big focus recently and really should be a big continued focus for our future. And we should be leading that charge and looking at our education through the lens of a lot of those pieces. I think the other pieces that we that we're identifying is a is a focus on learning theory, on decision science, looking at the healthcare environment, the complexity of all of those pieces interwoven. And ultimately we're just really excited to be a piece of the dialogue and a piece of the discussion and the group or the the voice or the kind of Jiminy Cricket on your shoulder just saying, Hey, like come and participate, be involved and get excited about this. This is such a good opportunity and and for several reasons. You know, Alex, the attrition in healthcare right now, people are moving jobs, they're moving into different spaces. That's awesome. This is a great time for us to really revisit how we are educating in the midst of an entire different generation coming into practice, different ways that we complete healthcare, people's priorities and where they're different and what they want to consume and when they want to consume it. There's a lot that's in play and we have we have the opportunity to really shape that. And that's kind of amazing. So and I know I said that we were we were kind of moving towards wrap up, but I, I have another couple of questions because two things that w- one is a practical question and, and the other is a little bit more kind of conceptual. But for people who want to participate in the workshop that you're doing at the Alliance, when is that? And do you know the location? Can you share that so that we can at least have that information in the show notes? We do. So it is Tuesday morning, February the 6th at 10 a.m. in the Oak Alley Conference Space. Excellent. And I will make sure to kind of reiterate that in the outro for this this episode. But it did strike me, uh, you know, as you're kind of, you know, talking about all these potential changes and at different points in our conversation, you know, Obviously, needs assessments are core documents in the work that we that we do. And 
I know there are a couple of sessions about needs assessments at the Alliance Conference this year, and there usually are. But what you're describing requires a fundamental overview, uh, overhaul of how we actually conduct needs assessments and who's involved in that process. Because the way you're describing education engaging with the messiness of healthcare requires a very intimate picture and a very vibrant picture of what that messiness looks like. And you know, a lot of needs assessments aren't like that. They are a clinical data dump. And we are not training people to create needs assessments that paint that sort of picture that I think you're talking about. So I'm wondering if you have, you know, a response to that or uh, a particular perspective that you're thinking through. I love this question. I'm going to jump in. And I know, Sarah, you have thoughts on this as well, because this is a space that Sarah and I have had much conversation on. So when we think about where education is best poised to uh, address clinical gaps, it's so critical that we never stray from the, the science and the method of solid education design, which is predicated on there is an educational need that is underpinned by a clinical gap. We must look at the driver of the clinical gap and where education is that driver. That's where we address an educational need. But if the driver of a clinical gap is not one that can be solved with education or education alone, we have different work to do. So it's, it's critical that we are taking a complete, fair, and full assessment of what are those drivers of clinical gap. If the driver of a clinical gap is incentives-based, we have a different solution than education alone to address that clinical gap. Education could very well be a part of that, but it perhaps is not going to close that entire clinical gap. Where we have a systems or process gap or driven gap, education can absolutely be a part of that again, but perhaps that needs to be in the context of a an education and systems process solution. And there are many other drivers of this clinical gap. We learned acutely during COVID that preference-sensitive decision-making or decision-making that comes from preferences that are very personal, cultural perhaps, social certainly, then we have more than just an education need. We have the opportunity and the, the responsibility to address that gap at where it, its root was. And a full needs assessment then must be comprehensive enough and fair enough that it is addressing, again, not just the fact that there's clinical evidence and we all need to know it, but rather what is the true and real underpinning of the clinical gap that would point us to where the educational need and those educational solutions actually should be positioned and sitting and and can actually close that. Without that fair assessment, and you're right, it's much more than clinical uh, clinical evidence dump, we are doing a disservice, not just to us as as planners and developers of education, but for everyone who's a stakeholder in the whole community. We are called to do better work than that. I completely agree with that. I'm just not sure how often we see that kind of approach. (laughs) So just kind of flagging that up, up there. Sarah, did you want to respond to that? No, I think Caroline hit the majority of those points. 
I think one thing that I, so prior to entering in here, I was a clinician alongside my academic appointment. So I practiced in an acute care setting, practiced with physicians, residents, fellows, nurses, other pharmacists, the whole team. And I think one of the things that we often, we recognize healthcare and how everybody's time is busy and how all of the things are, there's so many competitions, right? For your time, for your resources, for your energy. We also need to acknowledge that to your point, Alex, about needs assessments and this giant data dump, the volume of data that is currently being published, what Medline has two publications a minute, you're looking at millions of publications over the year. It is impossible. That is just published in a Medline cited journal. That's not all your open access, all of your additional research that you can find online. It is going to be near impossible for anyone to retain all of the information necessary to make a fully informed decision. So how does, how does our education not only help address all of the pieces that it needs to address, address the gaps, address the needs that exist, and also in a way that equips that HCP to be able to build the skill set necessary for forward movement in finding future information, processing it, remembering it. There's just, there's a lot at stake and a lot at play. And I think we have to fully appreciate and recognize that. So a lot of work still to be done, exciting times ahead. And listeners, if you want to be part of uh, this workshop experience at the Alliance meeting in February, we'll make sure to uh, include the information in the show notes so that you can follow that up. All that remains for me to say is thank you to Caroline and Sarah for sharing your wisdom and insights with listeners of Right Medicine. Health literacy is a topic you might have heard about, and it's certainly one that has informed projects I've worked on in CME and CPD. For those of you who want to learn more, I'm recommending the Health Literacy Out Loud podcast, hosted by Helen Osborne. Helen's podcasts are interviews with those in the know about some aspect of health communication, patient education, or health literacy. Guests share real-world experiences and suggestions about ways to communicate clearly about health. To listen and learn more, go to www.healthliteracyoutloud.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, the link is in the show notes. Here are my takeaways from today's conversation. First, we need a forward-thinking approach in CME and CPD to prepare us to adapt to the evolving needs of healthcare professionals. Second, there is increasing emphasis on interprofessional education and the role of team-based healthcare. This approach recognizes the complexity of healthcare delivery and the need for collaborative learning strategies. Third, Needs assessments and grant proposal are a focus of several sessions at the 2024 Alliance Conference in New Orleans in early February. And today's episode reminds us that needs assessments absolutely must go beyond clinical data and try to grapple with the real drivers of clinical gaps, including system and process issues, and patient preferences. And fourth, Caroline and Sarah's work offers an invitation to us all to think about how we can be agents of change and help to shape the future of CME 
and CPD. So what can you do right now to start that chain reaction of change? First, attend Caroline and Sarah's workshop at the 2024 Alliance Conference to learn more about their research, to be part of that research, to discuss future trends and challenges and to add your voice to the conversation. Second, examine your own needs assessment, education design and evaluation practices in light of some of the shifts we talked about. Are there opportunities that you can see where you could evolve your approach? And third, identify one to two ways that you can demonstrate leadership in your current role, whether through research, scholarship, advocacy, optimized education or other avenues. Next up on First Friday on February the 2nd, we talk with Claire Bono, a nurse-turned-medical content writer who shares her journey from the operating room, where I was too, to freelance medical and health writing. And then the podcast is taking a break, week beginning February the 5th. I'll be at the Alliance Annual Meeting in New Orleans, and you can catch me at the CHCP Prep Workshop, where I'll be teaching about adult learning, at the Tuesday Plenary, where I'll be serving as a content weaver for Carol Cohen's session on Titans of Learning, and at various sessions on Wednesday. Please come and find me and let's chat. Right Medicine will be back on February the 12th with Monday Mentor. In the meantime, connect with me on LinkedIn and subscribe to the podcast on your favourite listening platform. There's a link in the show notes and register on Right Medicine Insider for CME and CPD and podcast updates. Stay curious and keep learning.